Chapter Ten of the Love Affairs of a Bibliomaniac. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. The Love Affairs of a Bibliomaniac by Eugene Field. Chapter Ten. The garden in which I am straying has so many diversions to catch my eye, to engage my attention, and to inspire reminiscence, that I find it hard to treat of its beauties methodically. I find myself wandering up and down, hither and thither, in so irresponsible a fashion, that I marvel you have not abandoned me as the most irrational of madmen. Yet how could it be otherwise? All around me I see those things that draw me from the pathway I set out to pursue. Like a heedless butterfly I flit from this sweet unto that, glorying and revelling in the sunshine and the posies. There is little that is selfish in a love like this, and herein we have another reason why the passion for books is beneficial. He who loves women must and should love some one woman above the rest, and he has her to his keeping which I esteem to be one kind of selfishness. But he who truly loves books, loves all books alike. And not only this, but it grieves him that all other men do not share with him this noble passion. Verily, this is the most unselfish of loves. To return now to the matter of booksellers, I would fain impress you with the excellences of the craft, for I know their virtues. My association with them has covered so long a period, and has been so intimate, that even in a vast multitude of people I have no difficulty in determining who are the booksellers and who are not. For, having to do with books, these men in due time come to resemble their wares, not only in appearance but also in conversation. My bookseller has dwelt so long in his corner with folios and quartos and other antique tomes that he talks in black letter, and has the modest, engaging look of a brown old stout binding. And to the delectation of discriminating olfactories, he exhaleth an odour of mildew and of tobacco commingled, which is more grateful to the true bibliophile than all the perfumes of Araby. I have studied the craft so diligently that by merely clapping my eyes upon a bookseller I can tell you with certainty what manner of books he sells. But you must know that the ideal bookseller has no fads, being equally proficient in and a lover of all spheres, departments, branches, and lines of his art. He is, moreover, of a benignant nature, and he denies credit to none yet withal he is righteously so discriminating that he lets the poor scholar have for a paltry sum that which the rich parvenu must pay dearly for he is courteous and considerate where courtesy and consideration are most seemly samuel johnson once rolled into a london bookseller's shop to ask for literary employment the bookseller scrutinized his burly frame, enormous hands, coarse face, and humble apparel. "'You would make a better porter,' said he. This was too much for the young lexicographer's patience. 
he picked up a folio and incontinently let fly at the bookseller's head and then stepping over the prostrate victim he made his exit saying lie there thou lump of lead this bookseller was osborne who had a shop at gray's inn gate to boswell johnson subsequently explained sir he was impertinent to me and i beat him jacob tonson was dryden's bookseller in the earlier times a seller was also a publisher of books dryden was not always on amiable terms with tonson presumably because dryden invariably was in debt to tonson on one occasion dryden asked for an advance of money but tonson refused upon the grounds that the poet's overdraft already exceeded the limits of reasonableness thereupon dryden penned the following lines and sent them to tonson with the message that he who wrote these lines could write more with leering looks bull-faced and freckled fair with two left legs with judas-coloured hair and frowsy paws that taint the ambient air these lines wrought the desired effect tonson sent the money which dryden had asked for when dryden died tonson made overtures to pope but the latter soon went over to tonson's most formidable rival bernard lintot on one occasion pope happened to be writing to both publishers and by a curious blunder he enclosed to each the letter intended for the other in the letter meant for tonson he said that lintot was a scoundrel and in the letter meant for Lanteau, he declared that Tonson was an old rascal. We can fancy how little satisfaction Messrs. Lanteau and Tonson derived from the perusal of these missent epistles. Andrew Miller was the publisher who had practical charge of the production of Johnson's dictionary. It seemed that Johnson drew out his stipulated honorarium of eight thousand dollars, to be more exact fifteen hundred and seventy five pounds before the dictionary went to press this is not surprising for the work of preparation consumed eight years instead of three as johnson had calculated johnson inquired of the messenger what miller said when he received the last batch of copy the messenger answered he said thank god i have done with him this made johnson smile i am glad said he quietly that he thanks god for anything i was not done with my discourse when a book was brought in from judge methuen the interruption was a pleasant one i was too busy last evening writes the judge to bring you this volume which i picked up in a la salle street store yesterday i know your love for the scalawag villon so i am sure you will fancy the lines which evidently the former owner of this book has scribbled upon the fly-leaf fancy them indeed i do and if you dote on the scalawag as i dote on him you also will declare that our anonymous poet has not wrought ill francois villon if i were francois villon and francois villon i what would it matter to me how the time might drag or fly he would in sweaty anguish toil the days and nights away and still not keep the prowling growling howling wolf at bay but with my valiant bottle and my frowsy brevet bride and my score of loyal cutthroats standing guard for me outside 
what worry of the morrow would provoke a casual sigh if i were francois villon and francois villon i if i were francois villon and francois villon i to yonder gloomy boulevard at midnight i would hie stop stranger and deliver your possessions ere you feel the metal of my bludgeon or the temper of my steel he should give me gold and diamonds his snuff-box and his cane now back my boon companions to our bordel with our gain and back within that brothel how the bottles they would fly if i were francois villon and francois villon i if i were francois villon and francois villon i we both would mock the gibbet which the law has lifted high he in his meagre shabby home i in my roaring den he with his babes around him i with my hunted men his virtue be his bulwark my genius should be mine go fetch my pen sweet margot and a jorum of your wine so would one vainly plod and one win immortality if i were francois villon and francois villon i my acquaintance with master villon was made in paris during my second visit to that fascinating capital and for a while i was under his spell to that extent that i would read no book but his and i made journeys to rouen tours bordeaux and poitiers for the purpose of familiarizing myself with the spots where he had lived and always under the surveillance of the police in fact i became so infatuated of villonism that at one time i seriously thought of abandoning myself to a life of crime in order to emulate in certain particulars at least the example of my hero there were however hindrances to this scheme first of which was my inability to find associates whom i wished to attach to my cause in the capacity in which colin de cailleux and the baron de grigny served master francois i sought the companionship of several low-browed ill-favoured fellows whom i believed suited to my purposes but almost immediately i wearied of them for they had never looked into a book and were so profoundly ignorant as to be unable to distinguish between a folio and a thirty-two-mo then again it befell that while the villon fever was raging within and i was contemplating a career of vice i had a letter from my uncle cephas apprising me that captivity wait she was now mrs eliphalet parker had named her first-born after me this intelligence had the effect of cooling and sobering me i began to realize that with the responsibility the coming and the christening of captivity's first-born had imposed upon me it behooved me to guard with exceeding jealousy the honor of the name which my namesake bore while i was thus tempest-tossed fanchonette came across my pathway and with the appearance of fanchonette every ambition to figure in the annals of bravado left me fanchonette was the niece of my landlady her father was a perfumer she lived with the old people in the rue des capuchins she was of middling stature and had blue eyes and black hair had she not been french she would have been irish or perhaps a grecian her manner had an indefinable charm it was she who acquainted me with Beranger. that is why i never take up that precious volume that i do not think sweetly and tenderly of fanchonette 
the book is bound as you see in a dainty blue and the border toolings are delicate tracings of white all for a purpose i can assure you she used to wear a dainty blue gown from behind the nether hem of which the most immaculate of petticoats peeped out if we were never boys how barren and lonely our age would be next to the ineffably blessed period of youth there is no time of life pleasanter than that in which serene old age reviews the exploits and the prodigies of boyhood ah my gay fellows harvest your crops diligently that your barns and granaries be full when your arms are no longer able to wield the sickle hike meminisse to recall the old time to see her rise out of the dear past to hear fanchonette's voice again to feel the grace of springtime how gloriously sweet this is the little quarrels the reconciliations the coquetries the jealousies the reproaches the forgivenesses all the characteristic and endearing haps of the maytime of life precious indeed are these retrospections to the hungry eyes of age she wed with the perfumer's apprentice but that was so very long ago that i can pardon if not forget the indiscretion who knows where she is to-day perhaps a granny belle dame in a parisian alley perhaps for years asleep in pere lachaise come forth beloved beranger and sing me the old song to make me young and strong and brave again let them be served on gold the wealthy and the great two lovers only want a single glass and plate ring ding ring ding ring ding ding old wine young lassie sing boys sing end of when funchonette bewitched me